In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are continuing in the book of Philippians, and i got to figure out the end date. It says February 11th. We're going to blow past that, and we're just going to kind of see. I have not looked ahead. I'm right now, to be honest, treading water, because I, as I said, I presented just last week, and I present next week, and then I've got another one um, at the end of February. So I'm just doing my best here. I'm just doing my best. We'll take a look. I think we'll go all the way through the end of February for sure, and I think we'll spill into March because I think it'd be disappointing to go through the book of Philippians and not actually finish. I think that would be, that'd be disappointing. Um, so we're going to at least do that, and I'm, I'm excited about that, and it should be good. We are talking a little bit about light today and, and what Philippians says. This is Philippians chapter 2 going into 12, and, and our, our whole world of understanding light. So I, I, I've got kind of a fascination. I took astronomy in, in college, but even before that, I wasn't especially good at it. But even before that, my dad was a science teacher, and he was a science teacher for 45 years at the Lutheran High School. And I explained to the kids, um, that explains some things why I'm weird. But it was a fascinating childhood that you had a dad who could, you know, like walk outside and he'd point to all the stars and he could point to the planets and he would talk about all the things that are happening and we could ask him all these kind of like Bill Nye science guy questions like Knight Rider driving into the trailer. You know, did they just reverse the film or can you actually do this? And we'd have debates about this and it was a fascinating childhood growing up, but he, one of the things that we did is they had an observatory above the high school where we were at. Someone really loved a telescope, so they built their own telescope, and they wanted an observatory for it. So this was, as a kid, I even had a birthday party where we went at night, and I begged my dad, and I know I sound like I'm from Wisconsin when I say begged. I, I pleaded with my father. How about that? I begged my dad to have a bubbler drink in the boat, uh, so I can't. So I, I pleaded with my dad that we could go at all the time. And we'd go and we'd get ice cream sandwiches and we'd go up the observatory and he'd open the thing. It was one of those dome things that would have the sliver and the telescope and we'd look out and he'd point out like the man and the moon and all the things like that. So I have these fond, fond memories of the sky, but our whole understanding of how the night works and the stars and things like that totally took off around the 1600s with, do you know who it is? The inventor of the telescope? Galileo, yeah, so we know this. So he was one of the first. It was very, very advanced for the time, but it's kind of a rudimentary a telescope today, you could get a better one if you go to, go to Walmart. Even the one on the top, it was, uh, it was about here, it was like nine or ten feet long that we had at the high school. My dad had one in his office that actually was more powerful, but it was way more fun to sit in a cool seat and go like, like a TIE fighter and then look through the light and it felt awesome. So right around that time that even then though, he could figure out with his own telescope that the moon had mountains on it. He could figure out that Jupiter had um, moons that went around it. He could figure all these things out. And the thing that they would look up in the sky, he determined that it's a bunch of little stars that make up what was known as the Milky Way. And so for a long, long time, we've known it as the Milky Way, if you didn't know that. And you could kind of guess where that comes from. They get like the via, like road, via lactia, which would, you can kind of get that if you're lactose intolerant. You get the idea that that's milk. Our word galaxy today has the same thing, galactia. So it comes from the same thing. It really means like circle or way of milk because that's what it looked like. And so we look now and the light that shines down on us, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a time on the planet where we would get shadows from Jupiter and we could see the Milky Way and it would shine down on Earth and you could see it. That, that's long, 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 long time ago. There's a guy named John Bortle who has a light scale. Sounds like a fun guy to hang out with. Um, he had a light scale to say, okay, when you go around the planet, he had a measure for darkness. And he, he came up with this because he had astronomy students, and these astronomy students had never, ever been in actual dark. 
So how many of you have been in like actual real dark, like no light? This is from a what? Cave tour, right? That's the only place you do this. And then you're, how many of you are, find yourself, they should turn the lights on with them and no one's looking because everyone will be like this. They're like, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. And then they shut the lights off and then you do this. Um, the, the same thing is true. No one had seen this, so they start measuring this. And at the time of Galileo, everywhere on the planet would have been an average of like a one on this scale. And now in the U.S., you cannot find a single place that's below two. Probably upper Alaska or something like that. But in the continental United States, I'll change that. You can't find a place for two. Here's a picture from space, if it'll go. Oh, it's, is that plugged in? Perfect. And I have no idea why our projector is showing blue. The brightest place on the whole planet from space, does anyone know where it is? Only physically, not morally, is Vegas. Vegas is right, uh, let me see, this would be LA, I think, right here, if I'm off. I think that's Vegas right there, the brightest place in the whole planet. In fact, Las Vegas, if you stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon, it's 175 miles away, you can see the light of Las Vegas shining. I've never been there. The closest thing I've gotten to is going to uh, Times Square at night. Have you done this at like 11 o'clock at night? And it, is, it hurts your eyes to be there because it is so bright because you're on these side streets and it, the, it, they have neon and they have billboards that go up like seven, eight, nine stories. In fact, you have to, if you want to have a business on Times Square, you have to have your sign on 24 hours a day. It's way safer, but it's total light pollution. So where are we getting at with this? Uh, there's a beauty though. When my dad came here and he'd travel around, he's gone to like uh, California, and he, that's what he wants to do is look at the observatories, these legendary observatories, and, and the Hubble telescope he was so excited about. Now we have a new telescope that's coming out, maybe at the cost of $9 billion, maybe meh. Is it coming out? Ever, do you know anything about this telescope? Is it actually going to show up? A year and a half. They've been saying that, I think, for a year and a half. Uh, so there's a telescope, $9 billion, that is supposed to be it's super fragile. I'll just give you, it's really kind of awesome. I'll make it really quick. So we have the Hubble telescope. I knew a guy who worked on it. He worked on the radio systems. And he was so proud. He had a picture of the telescope, which is not an attractive thing, by the way. If you put it on your wall, it looks like a marker or something. He, he was super excited about it. And uh, they have a new one that's coming out that's supposed to be way, way more powerful. That's supposed to say like residual, um, what's the word? Um, I'm not going to think of the right thing, so I'm just not going to totally embarrass myself and say it. I'm not even going to guess. But this light it opens up with this thing that's four stories high, and they send it out into space, and it's a million miles away from Earth, and they cannot fix it. So you know how many times they fix the Hubble telescope? Like, it seems like every other weekend they're, like, fixing something on the Hubble. They can actually get to it and fix it. They cannot fix this telescope, so they're pretty nervous, doing all kinds of tests to make sure when they get it out there, it does what it says it's going to do. And it's only cost $9 billion, so it's not a big deal. But with that, uh, my, my dad, who I said, he came just to visit us when we moved here, and he was fascinated about being able to go in our backyard and see more stars than he had ever seen in Wisconsin. There's not, there is not pollution in Wisconsin. It's the purest place on earth. You can just drink puddles there, and you're fine. You get stronger. Um, but it is so low compared to here. We're a mile higher in the air that the stars just light up. Now, you just do that exponentially. You go up to uh, Rocky Mountain Christian Camp. Has anyone ever gone there? At Leadville, 10,000 feet? It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. One of the 90% so they can hold hands with their boyfriend for the week, uh, but 10%, one of the activities that kids like to do is right before bed, they like to sit in the parking lot and stare up at the stars, and it's really fascinating. There's more stars than you ever imagined. They say millions and billions of these stars. And I think that's the comparison that Paul is going to 
go for today is he talks about how can we as Christians shine in this dark place? Because it's a thing of beauty when you see this darkness and this dark world and you see something that shines out and it's remarkable. And that's what he's talking about. We're in the book of uh, Philippians. This is chapter 2. And we got a couple confusing things. So we'll touch base on and these before we kind of move on to some of the application things. So there's, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, does that seem a little strange? Therefore, as you have always obeyed, not only in the presence, in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We've got a couple of things that I think are kind of challenging. To me, there's two. One is the idea of obedience. Does that seem strange? Because as, as Lutherans, we always talk about faith. We talk about faith, 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 faith. And now we have this thing about obedience. And the second thing is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that bother anybody? If it doesn't, this will be the shortest sermon of all time. So, okay, this is a little bit tricky. So let's just talk about these one at a time. In the New Testament, just the way that the Apostle Paul uses words, we have obedience. Obedience here would be an example here he uses obedience in the NIV translation of Romans 1.5. He says the obedience that comes from faith. That makes sense, right? Uh, we would say the actions that are uh, motivated by love. So why do you do that? My actions are motivated by love. That makes sense? Except the text doesn't actually say that. They were so nervous, and the NIV is not really a paraphrase. They were so nervous that people would be confused that they changed the wording a little bit so that we would understand it. But we see another example in the ESV. This is literally what it says, the obedience of faith. And that bothers a lot of people, but really what is happening is the concept that faith and obedience can't really be separated. And when we talk about it as a Christian, this is really the same thing. You can't have one without the other. And so we go back to our section. Here he spills it out. We have obedience, and it goes to, it is God who worked in you to will and act and according to fulfill his good purpose. These things are really never separated. And so what it's saying is you can't have a faith of God in your heart that doesn't show itself in action. If you have saving faith, it's going to show itself in the way that you live. And the opposite is true too. You can't just go about the actions and not have something in your heart. Which one's worse? Which one is worse? So now just think, I mean, not just think about your faith, but let's just think about you, you love someone, okay? You love someone. Everyone here loves someone. Would you rather have a person that does all the right things but doesn't feel for it in your heart, or would you rather have someone who feels for you in their heart but doesn't do the things? They both kind of stink, don't they? I mean, neither one is fantastic. So we're going to just touch on two of these things. When they talk about, and a bigger deal at that time was Paul's concern that someone would have something, um, they would be doing the actions but not have the faith in their heart at that time the idea of being a hypocrite. And this is actually a huge deal when you talk about, if you know uh, millennials, the least church-attending group of all time is the millennials. And part of the reason, they usually give one main reason, is that they do not think that there's, for lack of a better word, a genuineness, not necessarily in the preachers and stuff like that, but a genuineness in the people they grew up with. And it's a genuineness that they didn't feel that they even know what they believed and they didn't really live it out. And because of that, they really struggled to go to any kind of organized church. And so you can think about in your own life what kind of effect that would have. And the effect for the millennials, I mean, in general, is there's a deeper interest in understanding really what the Bible says instead of just the concept of I'm a believer and I do this and that. 
and to actually try and live it in a sense of authenticity. And a genuineness is what Apostle Paul's talking about. This isn't anything new. If you, anyone recognize that? If you recognize that picture, that would be unbelievable. So I ran across an article in Atlas Obscura. Does anyone read that blog? This talks about all the weird stuff in the world. So my dad's a science teacher and a weird, you know, it's just a combination for the ultimate weirdness. But this is a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating blog that you can read about weird things that are happening in the world. They even have the weird places of Denver. And I can tell you the weird places in Castle Rock. We got some awesome stories about that. But there's a weirdness in the 1880s. It became a thing to go slumming. Have you ever heard of that term? Now, this is, this is a term that often comes up, I like, in teen movies, right? Like the rich girl comes over to the, like, the poor guy's house, and he's like, what are you slumming over here for, or something like that. Well, that was actually a thing. So like in the eight, late 1800s, people so wanted some authentic experience that they started to go to Chinatown in New York. And so they would, they would gather up groups of people to go to Chinatown, and they wanted to see, like, see the opium dens, because there really were opium dens there. There were brothels, and there were shootings, and there was fights. They did not have that in the high society. So if you can imagine in the late 1800s kind of functioning around the aristocratic New York City, you would want something real, right? I mean, could you imagine go, when they show these parties like Downton Abbey and stuff like that? And it, I think I would... That would not be a good life, I don't think, right? I mean, it just seems like the most boring thing of all time is people go through these polite, pleasant trees and they secretly hate each other, but they say all the right things on the outside and, you know, they wear all this makeup and stuff like that. It seems awful. They longed for this, like, authentic, real, raw experience. So they started going to Chinatown to see these things, but, of course, what happens? People figured it out, and this became, like, a big scam. So they would, they would set it up like a play. They would pay the people. They would pay the poor kid begging for money, Sorry, I said begging again. Uh, pleading for money. They would pay the people in the dens. They were just actors. So they had these opium dens. They'd like reveal the curtain. They weren't real opium dens. These were people that were, the brothels were all fake and things like this, but people were paying just for this experience. Where does this kind of all cycle around to? Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he's saying in your Christian life, your faith is important, what you have in your heart. But it's just as important that it shows itself in your actions and what does it look like. So we spent some time in the first part of Philippians talking about what that looks like. He said, remember, if you had any comfort from Christ's love, if you had any encouragement, this is going to show itself in thinking of others before yourself. Of course, the challenge with that is, I think, is that that's like the hardest thing to do on the planet. And I, I didn't go through this even in my head, but just think of decisions you made this morning that were somewhat selfish rather than thinking of like the whole. So this morning, uh, my dog must have eaten something funny, and 10 minutes before my alarm, he starts barking. So it's like, I don't know, 3.50 a.m. or something like that, and the dog is barking. And my wife, who, by the way, has the side of the bed that's closer to the door, says, are you going to let him out? And I'm thinking, honestly, in my head, like, you are eight feet closer. Like, why wouldn't you let him out? Like, this is so selfish. Her alarm doesn't probably go off for another hour and a half, and I'm ticked that I have to get up 10 minutes early. Example number one. Example number two, uh, she mentions we, she had a full car, so our Suburban, you know, our Suburban that was so fantastic until last week when the lifters went bad and I have to put a new engine in it, $5,500. So I used to really love the Suburban, now it's, eh. but I still have to put this engine in it, so now we have this smaller car that we're using, and uh, we had too many people for the car, and Amy's like, hey, Petra and Owen are going to gonna have to drop them off and then go get somebody and then drop because she was bringing someone to church and then I'm going to have to come back to church. Now, what would a nice, you know, husband do at that point? 
since it's just one person driving in a station wagon to get to church. Nothing. I don't do anything. So I just said, I, you know why? Because selfishly, I thought if I drag the kids along in the morning, A, they're going to complain because they're there at church really early and they don't have this set up. And B, I really need to go through my stuff in the car. Like I have to go through it in my head. And this is, so this is, I wasn't actually thinking about my kids or my wife. I was thinking of you so that you could have the best sermon possible. That's what I was thinking of. So I bet we could go, I bet in your own life, I bet there's 10 decisions you made this morning that were not directly related to trying to do the best for the people around you. Now, these are minimal things, but Paul is saying if you have the love of Christ in you, you're automatically going to think about the people around you, and that's so, so difficult because we think about ourselves so, so much. And so this is so difficult. This is so hard to think of other people. He said the only way that you can do this is think of Christ. And the way that Christ has come to this earth, God came to this earth and became flesh and blood so that you can have a relationship with him. He pushed all his own ideas aside so that we can have this relationship. So that's where we get that amazing section in Philippians chapter 2. So this is the follow-up. He just goes through about all Christ's humiliation and everything he has done. And then he has one more request. So of all the things that he picks, when he's talking about this authenticness of faith, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ. So we have two things here. Uh, one, Paul is saying, humbly, I want you to, to, to work out your life with fear and trembling. And so there's two ways that they talk about salvation. One is the salvation past tense that Christ has done for us. So that's already done. And the other way that they talk about our salvation is really our life of faith. And would you say that your life of faith is an easy thing? Now that you know who Jesus is, does it make your walk with Christ easy? No, it's incredibly hard. It is incredibly hard. And one of the hardest things, I think, is um, where does grumbling and arguing come from? A selfishness. If you put me out, I'm going to be frustrated. If you ask me to do something I don't want to do, I'm going to be frustrated. Um, if, this is where this sense comes from. So to put yourself out, you have to take your own desires and put them aside and try and live for other people. And I think this is especially difficult in churches. Have you ever found that churches like are the biggest whiners of all time? I had a friend, he, he's got a professional cellist in his congregation, and he said, this is what she said. She was brand new to the faith. She came and she wanted to play for the church, right? This is a big deal. She's like a professional. And she said, the things people said to me have never been said to me in my whole life. The way they complained about, you know, whatever song, or she probably played like Van Halen or something, and people thought this is straight from the devil or something like that. Um, country music, straight from the devil. Van Halen is not. So that this is, she's doing whatever she is, and she said, the, the people in the world don't talk that way. They, they would never say these things to me. If I go to a charity function, nobody talks to me this way. And how many churches have you been in where there's infighting and backbiting and frustration and complaints? But not just in church. I think it's a reflection of, I mean, think about your own kids, if you have kids. How do you view, like, the educators in their life? Is it like this pure joy that you have these teachers? Or when your kids come and complain, you're quick to jump on the same bandwagon and say that is so stupid. 
even though they spend eight hours a day, five days a week, I mean, at least eight hours a day, you know, putting on this, what kind, of, what kind of ways do you view that? What kind of ways do you view the people who are helping you at the store? What kind of ways do you view just your family around you? What kind of implications would it be if the way that we shine like stars is not trying to just chase after this light or that light? Because there's so many lights in this world that says, here's the direction where satisfaction comes. What happens if we said, this is where, this is how we really shine we take away what is most important to me and I pour into the people around me. What would your marriage look like if you seriously thought about your spouse more than yourself? What, what would it look like in your family if you thought about your kids more than your own well-being and your own comfort? And what would it look like at work if you weren't just trying to suck things from work, instead you're trying to give to that work? It's really corny, I mean, to give this example, but we go to the, the gym, it's a CrossFit gym right in town. I switched ownerships, and it actually switched my attitude, which is really strange. I used to think about what I could get from this gym, you know, as long as they provided for me, I was reasonably happy. Um, as long as they did what I thought was appropriate, if they did something dumb, I'd roll my eyes, and I'd say to my wife, that's really stupid. Um, but then it switched ownership. The person who bought it is one of our favorite people at the gym, and he was our favorite coach and super hard worker. My attitude completely changed, and now they're selling t-shirts. I'm like, I could buy a t-shirt. You know, people are talking to me and I'm like, you should maybe go to the gym. You know, like I'm thinking about like what, if they do something, I don't think it's stupid. I'm like, I bet they'll fix it or I'll offer a suggestion. I'll think, hey, if you move the bars here, I think it'd be flowing a little bit better. You know, these, your attitude completely changes when you, you're kind of invested in it. And there's a whole lot of things that we're just trying to milk and bleed as much stuff as we get from it. And it, it's, you know, it's no big deal on a gym. You know, I don't care if you go to your gym and you pay your 30 bucks or whatever it is and, and you just, but I think it does matter when you talk about a church, thinking about what can I bleed from this rather than what can I give to it. And I think it matters even more when you start talking about your family. It is a hard, hard thing to make yourself vulnerable enough to keep giving and sometimes feel like you're not getting in the return. The way I explain it is like this. I mean, you're kind of on two islands, right? We're on two islands. One here is this island of comfort, and over here is something amazing. And we'd like to think like our life, these two things touch. And so if I really step out in my life or I really step out in my marriage or I step out with my family, I just go immediately to something amazing that's never how it happens. There's always this awkward space in between where you feel strange and frustrated and alone and you feel like you're going to get burned. And what happens if you do get burned? You don't go right back to the edge of that other side of comfort. You go farther and farther away. My guess is, if you're a normal family that's been married, there's plenty of times that you've really laid yourself out there and you felt burned and you've gone farther to more isolation. You've maybe stretched a little bit and you become more and more isolated. What's Paul saying? If you really want to shine like a star, if you really want the love of Christ to reflect in the way that you live, you set aside those things and you step into this awkward place in between and you keep plugging, and you keep plugging, and you keep plugging, because then, as he said, let's lay these aside and work together, you do something amazing. And you've got a marriage that's filled with love of Christ that's not just your own love, but the love of Christ reflected in your life. You have a church that, that doesn't backbite, but instead people are invested and says, what, we can do more together. Or in Paul's case, he's not even there. He's not even there, and his church is functioning. He says, I'm so proud of you. I can rejoice in you. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, 
But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, his life could be done, he said, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What is their hope? Their hope is that they're living their life and they're shining like stars as they laid aside all that they wanted and lived for Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a beautiful thing it is, the things that we can create through your work in us. And if there is any comfort we have with your presence in us, if there is any uh, encouragement we have through your love, help us lay aside our differences and seek to be authentic human beings, uh, people that love and care. And we're really the same thing. The faith that we have is not something just in our heart and our actions are not something far away, but these are glued together. These are the same thing. And the faith that we have in you shows itself in the actions and the way that we love people. We ask this in your name. Amen.